can I underline the warm welcome? Lovely to see you all. Thanks for coming. And before we look at tonight's passage, we will be dipping into some of the things that were set up by our Jewish brothers and sisters in the Old Testament. And I actually thought before we get into that, I thought we should just pray for what is going on between Jews and Arabs halfway around the world. So let's just pause just for 30 seconds. I don't have close Jewish friends you may have. I don't have close Arab friends you may have. I don't profess to understand all of what's going on. But it is pretty horrific what we see on our television. So let's just hold some silence and then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, even things that we don't understand can still hurt us, confuse us, raise lots of questions in our minds. We worry. And, and Lord, we sit here this evening thinking, please, Lord, not another war. But Lord, in your wisdom, we just ask you, Lord, please to intervene. Intervene by your spirit. Intervene with mankind. Send people that can help at least put peace on the table. We pray for those who've lost family. We pray for those that have already been taken into captivity. We pray, Lord, for a sense of peace. And Lord, we know peace does not necessarily just mean the cessation of war. But Lord, we do pray and cry out to you um, for peace. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder, have you ever experienced something that was good, but at the time you didn't realize it was good for you? Let me say that again. Have you ever experienced something that you think now is good, but at the time of experiencing it, you didn't actually realize that it was so good? I was born in the 60s, in the late 60s, and I'm sure my mother had shares in this stuff she used to feed me. It was malt extracts and cod liver oil, and every day, I was one of three boys, every day we're in a line, and we'd be spooned this stuff, which, if you've never tasted it, trust me, is disgusting. Um, why am I six foot two? I don't know, but it might have something to do with this and the fact that I don't spend too much time with a doctor. But I don't know. Could this have done some good for me? Or did my mother read it in a, in a magazine that said, give this to your kids? Anyone, any, anyone else were given this? Oh, you see, there you go. So healthy people, you must be. Um, Oh, wow. Gosh. Maybe your chairs too. But in all seriousness, we experience things that we don't at the time realize are good for us. And tonight we're going to be looking at the subject of the Sabbath because it's meant and designed for our good. 
But yeah, if you're me and you were raised around in my generation, there were all kinds of rules and things that you could and couldn't do that frankly had no basis in Scripture. It was just things that our parents decided they were going to do or not do. They kind of imposed those into these families. I didn't particularly grow up in a family that were overtly strict in terms of the Sabbath, but we had friends and, f- and family that were quite strict about things you cannot do and wouldn't even dare do in. Um, but yet, I stand here this evening probably more nervous than most times when I stand here. And you think, well, why is that the case? I think this is the first sermon I've ever preached where I don't think I have the answers. Because this is a complex subject to unravel. It's got tradition woven into it. It's got history woven into it. It's pretty clear at the outset what God asks us to do. But fast forward to the 21st century, how we put that into place in your life and in your family and in my life is difficult. And if you, I don't want to disappoint you before I've even started, but if you're coming tonight thinking I'm going to give you a formula and an almost a legalistic framework for what you should do on the Sabbath, I will disappoint you. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will wake you up this evening for you to start thinking, well, what does Sabbath rest mean for me? What does that mean for my family? What does that mean for the situation that I'm currently in? You might have young children. You might have elderly parents. You might have some challenges in your life. There might be a season of your life where for Sabbath for you looks like this. And tomorrow you may be in a different season where the Sabbath for you may look a little differently. But let's have a look. Um, this was the passage that I was given. Three verses from Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were, com- were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So then on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work, he, all the work of creating that he had done. So what I want to do tonight then is I'm going to try as best as I can to take you through a little timeline of a subject of Sabbath. I'm going to go way back to Genesis when we were first given the command, sorry, we were first given the indication from God that he rested, then through to the commands, right through to today, 21st century team. But before we do that, I have a little quiz for you. A little Sabbath quiz. So how much do you know about the Sabbath? Um, So here's three or four questions. So let's pretend we are strict Jews observing the rules of the Sabbath. Question number one, and you have to vote with your hands. Question number one, would you be allowed to walk on the Sabbath from here to the Toby Carvery? Put your hand up if you say yes, the Sabbath walk law would allow you to walk to the Toby Carvery? 
And those, put your hands down, those that say no, well done. Because this is probably 10, 20 meters too far. Sorry. Are you allowed to flush the toilet on the Sabbath? Hands up for yes. And for no? Sorry, you're wrong. You can flush your toilet on the Sabbath, but can you tear toilet paper on the Sabbath? <laughs> Put your hands up, yes. No, you're correct. You are not allowed to tear toilet paper because that is tearing according to um, Jude or Jewish law. The final one then. What about answering the telephone? Would you be allowed to answer the telephone if you were a strict Jew today observing Sabbath rest? Yes? No? You are correct. Anyone get them all right? Oh, well done. Very good. One. Is that it? Just one person got them right. Okay, so we need to work a bit harder on the rest of you. So you have to listen up. Um, so let's... Um, so what we're going to try and do then tonight is we're going to try and whiz through this as fast as we can to give you some context. But my goal is, the journey is, to get to the end because the end is questions about you and what are you going to do or what could you do in your life group, for instance. We've been talking about life groups. So I've got some suggestions from this for the life group that, that Jill and I are part of. So let's um, start then. So... We understand God rested on the seventh day, but nothing really happens about the Sabbath from then until Moses is given the, the commandments, of which the fourth one is remember the Sabbath. And in yellow, keep it holy. Um, it's the seventh day of a Sabbath to the Lord, and you shall not work. And that's where, the con that's where the controversy for the last several thousand years has been, is what defines work, what's work and, and what's not work. And I think Jesus helps us with the answer to that question. But in essence, Moses is given the commandment. It's one of ten. It's the fourth one. And it says that we are to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, a tip to Nico, I would have preferred do not murder. That, that might have been an easier one to wrestle with than keeping the Sabbath holy. And, and I wonder if that's true in lots of churches where this is a sermon we don't cover because it's a bit, it's a bit prickly. We don't really understand it. There isn't something, there isn't a perfect kind of guidebook to tell us exactly what we should be doing 21st century um, in for the Sabbath. So let's just kind of unravel a few things then. Um, we're, not, we're not talking about all of these, but again, if you were a strict Jew, there were 39 broad categories, rules, laws, that governed what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. Underneath those 39 were 1,500 
different rules and regulations. And with all due respect to the people who put these together, in red, I can find verses that justify those categories. And how many is that? Five. So for me, I don't find any biblical basis for the rest. Jesus didn't talk about them in terms of the rest of these. They aren't, you can go through the whole of Scripture and try and unravel. There are some inferences, but it's difficult to pinpoint where and how these rules have come upon us other than them being introduced by mankind. But let's then think about, well, what did Jesus teach? Well, actually, sorry, before we go there, there were a couple of other things in the Old Testament, and this is really more passing subjects that we're not going to look into tonight. So we have lots of references to the Sabbath, of people not doing things on the Sabbath. There are rules about land in the Sabbath. So if you are an Old Testament scholar, you will know that land has to rest for the seventh year to give the chance for the farmers to let their land kind of do whatever it needs to do with nature. And then bingo, next year you can start planting your crops back in the land. So there was, there was land rest or land Sabbath. There were sacrifices associated with the Sabbath. So the Sabbath, you kind of weave it all the way through the Old Testament. Lots of references. But this is where I have to be honest. There is lots of parts of it I don't understand, and I'm going to be very transparent with you. In Numbers 15, we have one execution, just one that I can find. If you know of others, you've got to come and tell me afterwards, because I've gone through the whole Bible. One execution for the Sabbath in Numbers 15. A poor guy was collecting sticks on the Sabbath, reported to Moses and Aaron, and the Lord commands Moses and Aaron to then approve his stoning for collecting sticks. So, now, if you go forward to Nehemiah, you'll find stories in Nehemiah, a few tradespeople um, outside the city um, trying to come into the city on a Sabbath. They're spotted, although I don't find selling, and trading, I don't find them on the 39, but these guys were caught, you shouldn't be selling. So what did they do? They didn't get executed, but they then put security on the gates to stop them coming in. So they kind of employed people to be security. That was allowed on the Sabbath to stop the people coming in to sell their goods. Um, and why am I saying that? I'm saying it just to be transparent that we're bumping into a subject here that I don't, think I don't think you'll find a real clear storyline going through the Old Testament where you think, aha, that's what I'm supposed to be doing on the Sabbath. Because A, I don't find the basis for a lot of it in the Bible text today that we, ha that we have. And B, many of these things are so culturally far away from our world that how do we put it into the 21st century? But I think this is where Jesus comes in. So let's have a look at what does Jesus say. So Jesus, um, again, 
the Ten Commandments, there's references all over the New Testament to the Ten Commandments, but there's references that bump into the Sabbath, but it's not something that Jesus teaches. Rather, he's getting into trouble for not doing the things he should be doing on the Sabbath. And this is an example. And I just want to read, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. Because we're just going to read a few verses here. Because I think it's, I think it's quite important, really. Jesus gives us a clue here as to perhaps a recipe for what we should be doing on the Sabbath. So Matthew chapter 11. Can someone shout out the page number if you've got a Bible? 977. Thank you, Vlada. 977, Matthew 11. Now, again, you probably know that in the Bible, chapters and verses numbers, we've added in. So let's forget, let's remove them out of the Bible for a second. And if you look at the end of Matthew 11, it's talking about, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then it just slips. Imagine it just slipping into chapter 12 without that break. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn. That was their crime, not allowed to do that on the Sabbath, um, and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And he answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, um, but only for the priests. And then that little section ends with Jesus saying, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now again, I don't want to digress too much and talk about the law and questions about is the law abolished Jesus came to fulfill that law Um, laws like circumcision we moved into um, baptism the the picture of from circumcision into baptism so that's a whole nother subject about about law but what Jesus is claiming here is I am not under that regulation that you've created probably for your own benefit because Jesus is not going to be held under a man-made law. I don't think that, listen carefully, I don't think that's Jesus just saying we can write off the Sabbath. And some people will say that Jesus abolished the Sabbath by his lack of teaching. And it's just my opinion. Please make up your own opinion as to what you think. Don't that I'm just trying to interpret for you what I'm sensing from God's words. That Jesus didn't come and just say, well, let's forget the commandment that God gave us back in Exodus 20. But what he is saying here is, but I'm not under all these pardon the phrase, but I'm not under all these ridiculous rules that you've set. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Jesus was going to show quite clearly that that is not um, what he is under. But then the passage goes on, Matthew 12, 9. 
Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep that falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's crystal clear. They are the words of not David McKee. They are the words of the Lord Jesus. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So just hold that thought. We're going to finish tonight with that thought. Doing good on the Sabbath. What does that mean? Um, so then he said to them, or he said to the man, stretch out your hands. So he stretched out and he was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So we've got this creation, God resting. We've got this commandment, um, keep the Sabbath day holy. Um, we've got a period of confusion certainly for me it might not be for you but it certainly is for me when you try and unpick the old testament um i would say strong evidence of man-made laws laws made by mankind but then jesus comes along um still talking about the sabbath but then talk but putting it into the context of but we can do good on the sabbath now a lot of people then ask the question, well, the Sabbath, Friday evening, Saturday evening, Sunday. Let me just, for one minute, give you some history. This fine, handsome young man, Constantine I, um, supposedly the first Christian emperor. Um, and he um, was very passionate about worshipping the sun god and had lots of people around that time very interested in worshipping the sun god. But he was the emperor that first set aside Sunday, S-U-N, as a day of rest. There was no, at the time, there was no obvious link to that being um, biblically based, even though people said he may have been a Christian. That came a bit later, because in, if you read Acts 20, you'll find that people had started to worship on the first day. But in the New Testament, there was never a bridge between Sabbath and Sunday. That came, that came 300 years after Christ. And then you had a, a series of countries. I think we were talking earlier. I think Spain was the first country that made going to church on Sunday legal. You had to go to church um, back in these times if you um, lived in Spain or any of its colonies. Um, and over the next 1,700 years, things have evolved. Sunday kept the pattern of worship, and it was then referred to as the Sabbath, um, um, even the Roman Catholics um, stated that, well, actually, we were told from Jesus um, personally that we can change Friday and Saturday into Sunday. 
which is quite an interesting claim that the Roman Catholic Church made. But what am I saying here? Um, What's the point of this? I'm just trying to help you understand why in the 21st century are we a Sunday um, when first century Christians had started to worship on a Sunday because that's the day Jesus um, resurrected and that's the link that people make between first century Christians worshiping on a Sunday and here we are um, 2,000 years on and we're still worshiping on a Sunday. Um, So what? What on earth is all this about? While you think about that question, I'm just going to have a drink. So what do we know? We know it's a command from God. And I would suggest to you that's undisputable. We can't pick and choose which of the commandments that we think we're going to obey, in my humble opinion. It is to be holy... And God blessed the Sabbath. The Sabbath, just like molten cod liver oil, um, the Sabbath is good and it was made for our good. I don't believe God made it to be, to be this legalistic system that oppressed us into worshipping and obeying rules of mankind. So it was for our good. Judaism turned it into the rules with no biblical basis. And then Jesus, we've just read, encourages us to do things that are good. Um, but then as we start coming into you, this is the bit you have to do now. So now it's your turn. Because now are coming the questions about, well, where do you take this? Um, because you could go down a legalistic route Um, You could go down, I can do anything myself route. Um, Or you can go down a route of freedom that God has given you um, to then worship him, rest in his presence, do good um, within a framework perhaps that works for you. Like when we said at the beginning, the, the lifestyle and the chapter of your life that you're on. But then let's just pick those two things. So I just want to now talk about, I want to think about rest and I want to think about doing good. So as we come into land, those are the two ways I want to try and bring this into land. What does rest mean for you? Resting in God's presence, the Sabbath rest. Let's not worry about what day of the week that might be. Um, But what does Sabbath rest mean for you? Um, What does doing good mean for you? Doing good, does that have to be on the Sabbath? Or could that be any of the seven days a week? The second reason I'm probably nervous tonight is that I have no real basis, if I'm honest with you, to talk about resting when I've spent probably most of the last 30 years running around like a chicken without a head. Um, Some of you that don't know me, I've spent most of the last 20 years out the back with teenagers and probably at least... I don't know, 
two or three dozen times, a taxi's waiting outside to get the last flight to America so that I can be at work tomorrow morning. But it still allowed me to get into youth and look after the little flock that I had out the back. Um, I, did some, I did some studies years ago, and 90% of the studies I did were between 9 p.m. and 6 a.m. Um, or on an aeroplane flying to the States. So I have no real credibility to talk about rest when probably for years um, I have not rested in the way that God wants me to. So someone with, gray, with, with less hair and hair that's going gray, I want to finish by talking to the young adults and young families. Because my plea to you tonight is the earlier you put things into your life, as a, to use some of, some of Nico's phrases from previous weeks, as a discipline, as a practice, the earlier you put them into practice, the easier it's going to be over the next 20, 30, 40 years as you raise children, as you perhaps your career expands and suddenly there's now 20 million things, other things going on. So just look at some of the statistics um, for young adults. So young adults, now's your time to wake up and listen carefully. Um, this, was, this was from two studies. 7% were saying they'd had a stress-free life. Only 7%. 74% reported feeling overwhelmed. 66% of millennials. There's a, a, there are a high risk of becoming workaholics. You can read the numbers. You can read the stats. Um, but you're living, if you're a young adult, you're living in a generation where there is so much pressure on you to to be someone who perhaps is not you, to do something perhaps in your career or in your job where you're almost kind of sacrificing most of yourself in order to do that. And my challenge to you is, well, where is God's rest in that? Because that's probably where I was 30 years ago, running around, still serving God, but still there was, there was other than at 35,000 feet, that's really where I rested unless I was doing some studies. Um, and if you're a young parent, I, um, I'm a child psychologist. I work in one of the London hospitals. And I had the privilege of speaking to about 300 parents about childhood anxiety. And I was introduced, and someone introduced me that I'd been working with kids all my adult life. And a guy asked a very, quite a profound question. He said, well, if you've been working with kids all your life and, and you've got a room full of parents, what, what one thing would you like to see change for, for kids? And I thought, he caught me on the hoof, really. The rest of the questions were quite easy, but that one was thinking, oh, gosh, where do I go with this? And, and after my brain's cog started turning, I then said... Parents today are not listening to their children. So I then said, so if, if every child on the planet had 45 minutes an hour of every week where they get complete devoted attention 
to their primary or secondary kind of caregiver, parent, mom or dad, um, I think that would make a huge difference across children nationally and globally. And that's not particularly spiritual. Um, but here's my challenge if you're a parent. If, you've, if, you're not, if there's not a sense of spiritual rest in your home and in your life, where are your kids ever going to then get time with you to learn the biblical values that, that ooze out of your life? When do you get those moments to talk to them about the things in life, in your spiritual life, that are hugely important to you? And those are precious, precious moments. They don't come very often. And when they do, you've got to have the mind and the wherewithal to seize those moments and talk to your kids. Um, and for me, I, I quit a corporate job in order to do that because things had got out of balance. Not only in my relationship with God, but also my relationship at home in just making sure that, that things were appropriate and balanced and stop kind of running around the world trying to think I'm some big wig or whatever when I'm not. Um, so, what does your Sabbath rest look like for you, for your family? Where do you find time to just slow down, turn things off, and just either be in relationship there with God or with relationship with those around you that you love? Where do you find that time? Um, are you in a position where you can just stop and turn things off? Um, but some of you might be in a position where actually you've got the capacity to not just see the Sabbath as, well, that's for rest and for me and my family. I think some of us are in a position also to then say, well, what can we do for, where can I do good for others? So your Sabbath rest may actually be investing in others. Inviting someone back for Sunday lunch or going out for a walk with somebody or just sitting praying and asking God, God, put someone's name in my head and my heart that you want us as a family or as an individual to reach out with. That's the community that I want to be a part of, where we're a family looking out for each other, supporting each other, but steered by God, where he puts names onto your heart and then you go off in obedience to God to do what God wants you to do. So God has given us a commandment which... Again, I said a few minutes ago, I think he's undisputable. You can question lots of other things that we've said. But God has given us a commandment. And as we finish, you have the freedom. If you read Galatians, it talks about freedom. You have the freedom to do whatever you want. God's not going to put some framework on top of you. And is that freedom to just do what you want to do? Or are you going to use that freedom 
um, to then honor God, serve God, but spend time and rest in God's presence. Remembering that for eternity, we will rest in God's presence forever. So that's what we've got to look out for. Um, you can, the band, I'll ask the band to jump up now. Because we're going to sing, we're going to sing about that freedom. The freedom that I think God has given us all. And my question as we just close in prayer is, how are you going to use um, that freedom? And, I'm, and at the end of the service, I'm going to leave this QR code on the screen. Sorry, Neil. When we finish the service, this QR code will be up. And that will take you to a link to a series written by John Mark Comer from Portland. Um, and a very interesting, it's several videos, well worth a watch and a listen to, to give you some ideas as to what you might be able to do on your Sabbath rest. Let's pray. Father, we've journeyed tonight through some text and some scripture with some bumps in the road. But Lord, just as we come into land now, I just pray for those two things we've finished with. What does Sabbath rest look like for me? Where I'm in a position to soak from you what you want to give me because it's good. Because Sabbath was made for us not as some legalistic system. But Lord, I want you to put onto our hearts tonight people that you want us to help, to support, to use Jesus' phrase, to do good. And Lord, I ask just as we finish tonight that you would speak to us by your Spirit to help us to do the things that you want us to do. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.